Hello, it's me, Christina, again. Hey, it's really hot in Minnesota. Is it hot where you are or is it chilly because you are in Australia, for example, where it's winter or San Francisco where it is always between 50 and 70 degrees. I am so thrilled today to have someone who is actually, I've known him for a while, but I've gotten to really know him over the last several weeks which is why I asked him here today. And he is my very special guest, Jonathan McFadden. Let me tell you briefly about Mr. Jonathan McFadden. He is a senior content designer at Red Ventures, where he works with designers, researchers, and project managers to improve user experiences for major brands. When he's not designing with words at his day gig, he's writing content for clients as the founder and owner of John Wright's LLC. In his spare time, he enjoys spending time with his wife, teaching Bible study, reading comic books, and being black. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, Christina. I have that to, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I landed on that last one. I'm, I'm just going to go. So I have to share that when I looked at this bio, I got Jonathan and I was just like, Jonathan, I'm going to, you really want me to rap with, with being black? Is that okay? Coming out of my mouth. And he's like, mm-hmm. yes, just own it. That's I, right. So yeah, there you go. Um, I know. Hey, Jonathan, I, you recently came to work at Red Ventures. I wonder if you can tell me, I ask all of our guests, all of my guests, to share with our listening audience uh, their journey to content strategy and content design. So I wonder if you could share that with us. Yeah, absolutely. I came into this crazy world of content, like a lot of people I know, unintentionally. (laughs) I was a reporter for about five years, a newspaper reporter, and decided that news was no longer cutting it. I wanted to leave the industry and was looking for some kind of job where I could kind of just set, I could segue into and kind of use the skills I've learned as a reporter, as a journalist, as a researcher, and as a writer to do something that wouldn't take all of my life and consume my life. I enjoyed having some quality time with people I loved and the idea of making more money was appealing and not being stressed all the time. So I found myself in marketing, like a lot of folk. And eventually that transition into content strategy when in 2018, I got a job as a content strategist, not knowing what the heck that really meant. And that's when I began to learn about content strategy and then eventually content design. And lo and behold, here I am. And I do not look back. It's been an incredible journey. Before we talk about your gig at Red Ventures right now, I have a question for you that has actually been on my mind about people who are transitioning into the field of content strategy or content design, which is a big topic of conversation these days at Brain Traffic. And we are, you and I are going to talk about it together as well. How did you know to look for a job with the title of content strategist? Great question. I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us today. Period. So when I started looking for other gigs, I was looking for content writer, copywriter, communications director. Like I was kind of just casting as wide a net as possible, looking to boost my skills, augment my prowess and do all that. But Also, just, again, looking for some kind of promotion, some kind of advancement, some kind of career progression. And I landed at this company called LendingTree, which I had heard, which in the Charlotte area where I live outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, is a pretty big deal. And so they had this job opening for a content strategist. And the job description was also found under copywriter. 
So I was really confused. <laughs> I was like, wait, this looks like the same job. And so I interviewed for the gig. I decided to apply, interviewed for the gig, realized it was a little bit beyond the scope of what I was accustomed to as a copywriter. And I felt I was really intrigued by the challenge. Felt like I could essentially bring a lot more head knowledge to the to the role. Not that copywriters don't. I'm not trying to insult anybody who's a copywriter. I have mad respect for you. But this gave me an opportunity to really be part of the ideation sessions, to be part of the brainstorming, to really think through problems and solutions. And that appealed to me. I was ready to do that kind of work. And I landed as a content strategist at Lending Tree and just kept learning more and more about the industry. At the time, there were only two of us really doing what we were doing. And at the time of my departure, there were still only two of us <laughs> doing it <laughs> for the entire company. So, you know, three years later, I learned a lot, boosted my skills tremendously, met a lot of fantastic people in the industry, Christina Howerson included, and just, you know, fell in love with, with the work and the opportunity to affect lives. And I think that's that's what appealed to me. That's why I became a journalist in the first place. I wanted to help people. I wanted to provide information. I wanted to be, this is going to sound a little egotistical, but be a hero of sorts. You know, I think journalists all have a little bit of a superhero complex. And I think content strategists do too. <laughs> we want to we wanna make things right. We want to solve problems and we want to help people, you know, find some kind of result. And so it just made sense. I talk all the time about how content strategists, by and large, are just some of the very best people. And that is exactly what I tend to narrow in on, is that content strategists like want to do right by yeah. other people. When we come to the table, we are interested in understanding what people want, what our user needs are, what our audience expectations are are. And then our whole job is trying to figure out how to get that information to them, how to get, you know, the and crafting the words so that it's inclusive and making sure that we are representing all of the right thing standards for to making that content accessible and so on. And yeah, I think it a little bit just has to be kind of like baked into your values and the person you are. So when you talk about, I mean, when you talk about like, I came, when I, as a content strategist, I want to help people. Can you give me a couple examples of like your day-to-day -day where you feel like, oh, this is a chance that I really have, or I did this thing and here's the outcome that I see. And I really feel like I helped someone. Oh yeah. I have a treasure trove. <laughs> um, so I think I'll draw from my current experience at my current gig without giving away too much of the secret sauce or showing people too much of how the sausage is made because I don't want Red Ventures to sue me. Essentially, <laughs> okay, you know who's not going to listen to this podcast? Anybody at Red Ventures who's that, interested in suing you. I'm just that's so that. true. You're yeah. right. This yeah. will not hit legal's ears at all. No, <laughs> um, no. So, funnily enough, a coworker and I were just talking about this this morning. How our job is to essentially turn like take websites from rags to riches. <laughs> so that's like, that's a good way to kind of encapsulate our jobs. And that's what we do. So we, we partner with different companies and we help improve their UX. And so my job every day is kind of, I don't want to make this sound so violent, but it's essentially tearing things down and rebuilding them so that they're better, that they're better for the user. Tell me, can you give me an example of when you talk about Looking at a web page or looking at an experience and saying, I see 40 different ways that mm. I could make this better. I would say 99 times out of 100, 
a client or a stakeholder is not going to just roll with, hey, I'm the content strategist and I can make this better. And so do this thing. How are there like points of evidence that you are able to, to present? Like, do you work with researchers or do you have, you know, specific data that you always will try to pull or that you especially find is useful when you're trying to change minds or, pro- or provide feedback? Absolutely. I mean, research literally is our best friend and it's the probably the most effective way for us to make an argument when we're working with our partners and clients. And we are actually... Quick shout out, hiring for a user researcher, hint, hint. I'm <laughs> throwing that out there to anybody who may be listening, a user experience researcher. And so, yeah, we are, data informs everything. So when we're having meetings with the partner about the homepage, for instance, we are hitting them with the numbers first and we are hitting them with click-through rates. We're hitting them with time on page. We're hitting them with completions in a form. We're hitting them with even survey feedback, you know, we have a survey about the web experience. And so we're asking people, did you find what you needed? And we're reporting those findings to the partner and using that as a convincing pitch that, okay, so we need to fix something. Okay. Side note, if someone's listening and they're like, oh yes, I would like to be a UX researcher to work with Jonathan McFadden. Where does somebody go to find that job posting? Excellent. Excellent question. They can go to Red Ventures careers page. That's a great place to start. They can also, if they want, find me on LinkedIn and Jonathan McFadden will drop a link in a DM. So I am always very approachable on LinkedIn, except if you're trying to upsell me on something, I can clearly detect that it's this uh, canned message that you sent to 500 other people. Aside from that, I'm very receptive. I have no problem connecting and I can kind of give you some details on what the job would entail, what the team is like, what we're working on, things of that nature. Jonathan, listen, I was scrolling through LinkedIn and your profile caught my eye and I'm so impressed by your experience and I would just love to connect. So, okay. So I'm going to use this, let's recruit somebody to be a UX researcher as, and kind of help us shift gears a little bit to recruitment within the oh, industry yeah. and finding people who maybe don't know what content strategists do or content designers do and that and can encourage them to kind of enter into or create new pathways into this industry. This is actually a little bit of so you you just spoke at Confab yeah. Uh, the content, our content strategy conference that, that my company, that's right, my company <laughs> Brain Traffic produces. And it was virtual this year, which has surprised all of us, I think, by the extraordinary way virtual conferences can still create a sense of community. Mm-hmm. And a thing that like careers and career transitions in recruiting were a huge topic at, at Confab. And one of the things that kept coming up over and over was the need to increase diversity in our candidates, in our teams, in our field as a whole, and how it's super easy to kind of like pay lip service to that mm-hmm. and say, yep, this is hard and we should do it and tell we have a job open. Make sure you go tell all your friends that are people of color okay, I did it. I'm increasing diversity. And and you were in the Slack community, such a leader around like bringing conversations around inclusion and diversity and systemic oppression and what it's like to be black in our field, like right up front and people engaged and people followed, which is incredible. So can you talk a little bit about 
Because now you're like, I'm all in on Confab. I love Confab. Confab's oh, yeah. So can oh, you yeah. talk a little bit about what that experience was like for you? I mean, maybe start off with the, with the topic of your of your talk, in fact. Yeah. So quick shout out to Art Schwartz Restrepo, who was also my co-presenter this year at Confab. We, our presentation focused on how to maximize your word bank, your power and your influence to advocate for underrepresented users. And if there was a thesis around the presentation, it was using your leverage as a content strategist, somebody who is connected to so many different people across an organization to advocate for the people whose voices are oftentimes not heard, the people who are not invited or even allowed at the table. And so that is a passion of of mine. It's a passion of arts. It's a passion of so many other people we've met at Confab and that I've met in the content strategist, content design community. And it's so critical because there is a huge representation gap across tech. And that's where content strategy and content design pretty much sits in, right? You know, in my experience, at least for the most part, we sit at the intersection of words and technology. We're creating experiences for people. But I think it's a very sad and jarring indictment upon the industry that when you look at the people creating experiences for people, they oftentimes don't reflect the full array or spectrum of people that are actually interacting and engaging with those experiences. And it it comes off, to be frank, quite elitist. (laughs) And so, but technology has that problem, right? Technology is very homogenous. And so we in our in kind of thinking about our presentation and what we would say at this confab we decided that we could definitely use the presentation to focus solely on our work day to day focus solely on the experiences focus solely on the words but i think as john paz mentioned at confab during his keynote address it goes far beyond what you do in your day to day it goes far beyond your siloed job you have to look at the makeup of the organization. You have to look at the makeup of the engineering team. You need to look at the makeup of the product management organization. You need to look at the demographic makeup of the content design organization, if there is one, because all those people and all of the luggage that we bring with us every day to our jobs, because we all do it. We all have this luggage. I won't use baggage because it has a negative connotation, but we all have this luggage that we bring alongside ourselves upbringing, childhood, parenting, all that kind of stuff. We bring it with us. If you look at who the people, who the the gatekeepers are and who the people who are making the big decisions and are creating the experiences, they don't always look like me. Yet I'm using these products. I'm using these experiences. And as a user, I know when something hasn't been made for me. And so I think it is incumbent upon us And maybe this is me foisting a lot of my values and beliefs on other people. But I think especially it is incumbent upon content strategists, content designers, UX writers, whatever you want to call us. It's incumbent upon us. It's our responsibility to advocate for the people who are not able to advocate for themselves, who don't have that level of access that we have. We should be trying to ramp up representation. We should be trying to ensure that multiple and diverse voices are heard when key decisions about features are made, when new products are rolled out and unveiled, when websites are literally knocked down and then rebuilt again, because we need to ensure that these experiences are inclusive and can connect with people everywhere. 
And I know I get it. That's hard. That's, that's a lofty goal, but it becomes easier when you actually have people in the room who look like people in the world. And that is, it's, it's sad. It saddens me that we're not at that place, but I do believe that we're getting there because there are people talking about it all the time. I'm just one voice among many. So you were so articulate and passionate about this in a recent conversation that we had. And frankly, I have fallen prey to, and I think lots of other privileged white people, men and women alike, fall, you know, it's easy to fall into, I did this thing and I tried and it's only working kind of, but at least I'm doing something and this is hard. And what we have done for our conferences, in particular for Confab and Button, is we have launched this diversity and equity scholarship where we invite people of color or other folks whose experiences are often marginalized within tech and society as a whole to apply for financial aid and assistance to join us at our events. And this has been I mean, it's been successful at past events, right? It's helped us to increase diversity. However, it's expensive to bring somebody to an in-person conference, right? And so we've had this pool of funds, but we've been very limited with regard to how many people we're able to have join us. With virtual events, that barrier was completely eliminated. Absolutely. And suddenly, instead of saying, for several thousands of dollars, we can invite, you know, help four people of color show up to Confab. Now we're able to be like, oh, do we have a hundred applicants for our equity scholarship? Come on in, right? Mm -hmm. Great. You're all yep. invited. And what happened clearly and quickly <laughs> is that we saw diversity at these past virtual events spike like significantly and noticeably. And suddenly our attendees were having conversations about difficult topics like, yeah, we need more diversity in our field. Yeah, we need to do something about it. What can we do about it? And why aren't we? Like, what is, what's the problem here? What is the excuse? What is the perceived obstacle? Those conversations, or, or even more importantly, Hmm, I see this white speaker on the screen who's talking about this experience. And as a person of color, that has not been my experience of all at all. And I'm going to talk about it in Slack openly and feel safe about it. Like it just significantly shifted conversation within the active community during the conference. Can you talk a little bit, because you have spoken freely and publicly about what it was like for you to be at an event where you saw people of color not only clearly represented on the screen and the programming, which is another intentional act that we've, you know, that we work on hard constantly, but even more so that you were surrounded by people of color at an event in a way that you had not been before. Can you talk about what that was like for you? It was sublime. <laughs> it was glorious. It was the best conference experience I've ever had in my life. And I've been to a couple. Well, more than a couple. <laughs> and I I think I mentioned this to you in our conversation. I had never felt so seen on that kind of stage before, on that caliber of stage, on a global stage, where it wasn't something about oppression, you know, where it wasn't something about 
black people or people of color being killed or firebombed or oppressed or dehumanized or marginalized in some way. We were people of color, that is. We were represented well and beautifully and holistically. And we weren't just talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Those were definitely parts of the conversation. We had keynotes talking about those things, which is fantastic. It's splendid. We need that. But we also had people talking about volunteerism. We also had people talking about using content strategy for change. We had people talking about their careers in content strategy. And it felt like the opposite of tokenism. It didn't feel like we were asked to be there so we could talk about that particular topic. Those conversations naturally happened. It was organic. But we also saw people of color who are consummate professionals talking about their experience, whether you are managing content strategy for an entire city government and you're trying to help people deal with the onset of the pandemic or you're working for the IRS and you're responding to this tidal wave of requests and urgent needs from people nationwide. We just saw people of color talk about their trade, talk about their professionalism and talk about it with so much class and poise and aptitude that it just made me feel, again, seen. It made me feel celebrated. It made me feel welcome. It made me feel like I was in the right place. And that is not a feeling I get often in spaces that are not overtly intended for me. And when I talk about spaces not overtly intended for me, I'm talking about most spaces. (laughs) I'm talking about places that are not my family and church, (laughs) because those are probably in my life thinking about the two biggest predominantly Black places in my life. And every other place I, I frequent or occupy, for the most part, I'm the minority, always. I'm the one who sticks out, always. And so... I didn't necessarily feel like I stuck out at Confab, even though, yes, we did have our people of color Slack channel and we did have our black people at Confab Slack channel. And we had, you know, this community developing still, it it felt like, okay, like we were able to actually be part of the greater community and represent in a way that just isn't common and just doesn't happen all the time. So on the one hand, it was just this, again, this very affirming experience where You just felt seen and you felt heard and you felt celebrated. And on the other hand, it was also powerful in that people were talking about the real issues. They were talking about the gaps in representation. They were talking about a certain company's big, awful mistake that they still haven't apologized for. You know, people were, we were holding people accountable, holding companies accountable, and it was beautiful. So that would be 37 Signals, the makers of Basecamp. Yes, that would be. (laughs) Or are they even 37 Signals anymore? They might just be Basecamp. I'm old. I don't know. So as you were talking, I would like to come back around and say one thing. In talking about brain traffic's efforts to increase diversity and to bring new diverse voices to our stage, I was not setting you up to just be like, tell me how awesome brain traffic oh, is. No. I wanted to, I wanted to <laughs> bring us to like help people understand how we got here mm-hmm. and how you and the and the feedback that we've gotten from the other people of color, how you all felt so represented and surrounded and supported and really safe. Because I want to be transparent and say this. We work hard to bring diverse voices to 
this stage for Confab and for Button. We wanted to open up a scholarship or a fellowship to encourage people of color to come to Confab or to remove barriers for people with marginalized experience and who are suffering some kind of financial hardship to join us at Confab. What the leap that my brain in my white head and privileged and person of privileged position never made, and this feels so stupid to me now, was in doing so, we're going to create a safe space mm. for people to have difficult conversations that they may not be able to have as one or two people of color at a company where there's no, everybody else in the design team is white for example, you know, that there is going to be, that we're going to be able to provide a sense of feeling seen and a sense of community that doesn't exist within organizations. I don't know why that didn't cross my mind. And so when I saw that unfold in front of me, it was like, I was awed. I was humbled. I was grateful. And the leadership that you were showing in saying, yes, this is community. This is by creating like Black people at Confab channel. Like we, you know, this is a space that we are claiming as our own and we are going to call out that we feel, you know, represented in a new way on stage. I mean, thank you for that. (laughs) It's just really was, was something to see and, and just kicked, kicked our whole team into a new level of awareness that like, oh, this is not just about creating diversity. This is, this is about building safe spaces designated spaces of inclusion where people can come together and feel safe, feel seen, have difficult conversations, change and and exchange stories about thriving and survival and succeeding within their organizations as people of color. And I, and I think Christina, one, another thing it illustrates is the hunger, right? Because you know, we could have created, I could have created the space, the people of color at Confab Channel when I did a year ago and nobody could have joined, <laughs> you know, it could have just been Jonathan McFadden and maybe two other people. And we would have had our self-contained conversations and that would have been it. I remember last year at, in 2020, which would be last year. Yes. <laughs> when I asked, I think it was initially asked Malakia Carpenter, if she thought it would be a good idea if I asked to create the channel because that was my first year at Confab. And to be honest, and this is this is so real, when you are stepping into a majority white space, you're like, I don't know where these people are. I don't know how quote unquote woke they are. I don't know how, if they're affirming of people of color, I don't know if they want to go there, if they want to have any kind of call out to the fact that there are people of color here. You know, I, I didn't know because I was, I was very new and still trying to feel my way around. Obviously hindsight is 2020. I now know I had nothing to worry about, but then I didn't know. I had no idea. And I was dealing with something actually fairly personal that had happened to me maybe just two weeks weeks or a week before in which a neighbor called the police on me because my fiance at the time, who's now my wife, she and I were apparently praying too loudly. And so that experience was really jarring. And this was around the same time that the Ahmaud Arbery video was circulating. So it was just, there was a lot happening. And so I had this deep hunger for connecting, you know, in attending this conference for connecting with people who look like me because I was trying to have conversations at work and I was leading this whole diversity and inclusion initiative, helping lead this uh, diversity and inclusion initiative at Lending Tree. And that was great. But here I was in this other space with people who do the same work I do. And I'm like, 
I just need somebody to talk to. I just want to connect. I want to connect with other people of color who are content strategists, content designers, UX writers, because I don't know many others at all. No one, I can't have these kind of conversations too often with people who do the same thing I do. And there's a difference when you are, you know, we deal in words and we deal in language and we deal in content and experiences. And so there's a very profound, I think, profound depth that we tap into and empathy is, is part of that empathetic nature that a content strategist should possess when we're doing the work we do and we feel so deeply about things. And it's hard to communicate that to people who don't do exactly what we do. And so last year, it, it, it was just evident that I wasn't alone. And that felt good. And that began a series of conversations and that that helped forge connections. I had conversations with Art after Confab, and that's how that dovetailed into our presentation. Malakia and I kept in touch. Hannah Kirk and I kept in touch. And we still have regular meetings every so often. And so community has been created. And I think just coming back to Confab this year, it was kind of an expectation at that point, at least for me. <laughs> you know, I felt a lot more brazen. I knew that this was a place where I could help uh, prop up this community and that people would be responsive. And I think we just saw that exacerbate in the best way possible this year. And I have to give credit to Aladrian Goods as well in, in helping with the formation of that Black People at Confab channel because she and I were having some conversations, some DMs between the two of us as the conference was going on. And she made a great point that we need our own space as Black people. We need our own space. And she was right. And so I was like, you're right, bet, let's do this. And we, the channel was created and I, I am so glad it was. It has, I think, I think it transformed the outlook and experiences for the people who were able to engage in that channel. We had Zoom calls, we met up, we talked, and we plan to meet up in the future. You know, when I say meet up, I mean over Zoom because we're all over the place. So community has been created. Sub-communities have been created. Conversations have been started. And heck, who knows? Content may be created out of this. I don't know. But it has it has just been such a powerful experience. And it's hard to really, I, I keep using the same words. It's sublime. It's powerful. It's affirming. But it's true. That's what the experience was like. It was, it just made sense. It just really made sense. And I think, and I'll wrap it up with this and then I'll be quiet because you know I'm long-winded. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I think what helped this year personally, and this is just Jonathan, is the experiences I had as being one of the co-chairs of the diversity and inclusion group at Lending Tree and being able to advocate for underrepresented people, not just in my job, but as an employee, which is a very different thing. You know, there's one thing in doing it again in the day to day in my silo job where I'm working with certain people on a certain thing or a certain product or a certain experience. It's another thing when you affect the culture of an entire organization and you affect every person in every department. Depending on who you asked, that was a good thing. And that was a bad thing. <laughs> but overall, it was a very positive thing. And that experience, I think, just kind of sharpened me and stretched me in a way I did not expect or see coming, but I'm so grateful for because I needed it. And I think that'll just continue to I'll hopefully, prayerfully, I'll just continue to grow and mature in that in that area because I care about these topics and I feel like it's my calling. It's like a mission 
in my life, a, a godly divine mission to advocate for the underrepresented, no matter what space I occupy. Well, I, it is such an honor to have you put that passion behind Confab and to have created that community that is so inclusive and I think just infused with your goodwill. And I want to use the word persistence, but it's more than that. Uh, And maybe just commitment to seeing this change and to helping bolster, you know, shared experience among people of color. It's, it's an honor to witness and it's an honor to have you involved. And we are looking forward to continuing to follow your lead with future events. And I do hope that there are other events organizers listening because change happens. It does happen and it can happen in terms of coming to this place where, okay, now we're going to have this hard conversation and start to shift things towards being a truly inclusive community where people do feel seen and they do feel supported and they do feel like that they belong. So it's, it's an honor. Thank you. I am real sad, but our time is up. I feel like I have 80,000 other questions to ask you about 80,000 other topics. Sometimes this happens with my podcast guests, but maybe we'll have to have you back another time. But in the interim, thank you so much for joining me and for, I don't know, I'm all fired up. I want to go outside and run around the block four times and then come (laughs) back and see what else I can do. Do it. Do it. Yeah, I know. All right. Well, if I ran around the block four times, I'd probably fall over. Um, (laughs) I'll walk walk slowly. Jonathan, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Christina. This was an honor. I appreciate it so much. 